spoken name. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was a usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones, and many, many other places. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006, and currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded and sent. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label full stop, bandcamp.com. It is a free download or free stream in there. But obviously, if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way, it would be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment, etc. Enjoy. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Spoken Label. Hi, guys. Andy N. Spoken Label. Back in the house again. I'm on Zoom again tonight. Kudos to Bella Kenyon for this one tonight. She's a really good fella. She keeps telling me these really nice writers to talk to that I've got um, publications coming out of the press. And this one gentleman has something due imminently. Thomas McCall. Now, Thomas, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them who you are. And obviously, you probably will get explained, obviously, why you've not got a London accent. But we'll take it from there. Okay, tell everybody where you, your creativity originally came from. Okay, thanks very much, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, my name's uh, Thomas McCall, uh, known as Tom, um, and yeah, I've, I've kind of, I mean, this is my second collection, um, uh, but I've been writing for quite a long time, really. Um, actually, as although I live, I've lived in London for the last thirty years, as you probably can tell, I've, I've got a kind of Birmingham accent. Um, and actually, when I first started writing, and well, I was brought up in Birmingham, and that's where I first started writing. And uh, my first publication uh, was way back when I was, I mean, I'm 49 now, and my first publication was way back when I was 17. And it was in a West Midlands Arts magazine called People to People. And um, I got paid the, the princely sum at the time of 10 pounds for it. And wow. things kind of went down. Wow. Yeah, so that was really good. It was like a great start. And I thought, oh, this is it, I'm on my way, and uh, all this kind of thing. And, um, but it didn't quite work out like that. And it kind of went downhill from there for quite a few years. Um, you know, I was, I was still writing. I was writing like short stories and, and as well as poems, but never kind of getting any place in magazines. But of course, then I came down to London and I was, I was studying studying history at the University of uh, North London, and you know, kind of you get sidetracked as well and all this kind of thing. But then I, I concentrated on poetry, uh, and by the mid nineties, I was starting to get published in you know, some kind of respectable magazines and that kind of thing, and um, kind of going to live events and. But I was very kind of shy and whatever, not really kind of, um, you know, I was kind of, never really very good at it, you know, what, it, 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 the performance side of things. And I think you kind of need to be to kind of get out there and all that kind of thing. But I was, I did publish a, a, a pamphlet with um, Poetry Monthly Press in 2000 and uh, it kind of got some good reviews. And then there was kind of a, a drought after that because I was trying to write a novel and wow. uh, I did write a novel and then it didn't get placed. But then I was starting to kind of write short stories as well as and poetry again um and then but they're trying to be more consistent with kind of getting out there and um you know performing as well they're kind of really kind of going for it this time you know kind of kind of a two-pronged attack if you like 
kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, on the literary on the literary world, the literary establishment. But you know, and, and the thing is, of kind of um, with with the first collection uh, that was published by Listen Softly London Press, they ran um, they ran a night called Listen Softly London, and so I kind of got to know the uh, the person who ran it, Dom, and um, eventually he was he was saying he was going to start a press. <laughs> He, he published my, my book of poems and that book of poems was kind of it was kind of the best of all the poems I'd written over really the, the past 20 years so it's kind of a very eclectic collection um, uh, and and then after that uh, I've written uh, I, was, I was kind of writing various individual poems of all kinds but I found there was a kind of uh, I was starting to kind of um, while my poems had always been to some degree engaged with the world around us the poems in my new collection are definitely more focused than ever on political issues um and you know i kind of found that there was kind of it was starting to form into a kind of what could be a cohesive uh collection with a with a theme um and so i kind of well, I sent that out to various publishers and we kind of had the idea of this title grenade genie quite early on um and it's it, it's then subtitled it's been subtitled 25 brief studies of the cursed coerced combative and corrupted and it's kind of ah. it's kind of this theme of um, it's kind of a theme of kind of where ultimately everyone and everyone's everyone and everything is expendable. But while you know this knowledge can generate either a sense of hopelessness or nothing to lose strength to rail against it. Kind of my idea was that um, one strength of poetry is that even if the former gets expressed, you know, just hopelessness, you know, then the latter's automatically achieved. This nothing to lose strength to rail against it. So it's kind of it's a very definite theme in this kind of in this in this book of uh, poetry that I've released. Yeah. I don't know, I'm starting to ramble on a little bit there, oh, but you know, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm getting, I think when you're looking at like, is that you're always doing your second book as a writer. I know when I did my first book 10 years ago now, mine was a very similar situation to yours, what was kind of the greatest yeah. splits at the time. But I think when you do yeah. your second book, your second book's when you start, say, focus as a poet, Yes, yeah. themes and how you build things up together, etc., like that. Yeah, now, yeah. I know Isabel's obviously put a poem up on her web. Uh, no, you're, I'm correcting you, have actually a poem in your WordPress page. And then this had some looking at this before, and it's this one struck me as really quite a graphic and strong poem. Now, the word poem oh, yeah. pervert. Now, oh, yes, okay. yes. yeah, how does that then <laughs> give people, if people want to get this book, how does that give you as an um, example of the collection? How does that poem is as an example of it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, um, so that one was from so that one was from my uh, the first collection. Uh, Being with me will help oh, you learn. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. So and actually, that was kind of the thing is a lot of my poems. Um, I'm because I've always lived in cities. I mean, in, in London and Birmingham, they're the two cities I've lived in. I'm a very kind of my poems are always very kind of um, you know, they're very urban poems. And this actually this poem. Pervert was one about someone who's lived in the city and he's gone to live in the country and um, countryside or a village and he's kind of it's it's, it's kind of it's really about the reaction of the villagers to this outsider coming in um, and it's almost and it's what it is they're, they're all they're putting women's underwear on his washing line uh, so instead of stealing you know it's like usually there's that old image of people stealing people's underwear off their washing line but these, these People are putting it on his washing and they're, they're making out he's this that and the other um and so it's kind of uh, it's kind of a reverse thing where then they start picking on him and they're calling him pervert and 
but they're, they're the perfect. <laughs> so, a bit of a strange uh, thing, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Kind of slightly surreal and slightly weird, like, like the poetry that I write. But um, yeah, that was kind of an example from that book in a way. So that. yeah. Now obviously, I can see obviously there was it's a fairly large, it's a fairly large collection. This one. Um, you said it did it take you actually four years to write this book. Well, the thing, the thing is, in some ways, it's like um, you may have a lot of the, a lot of the poems may be ready for a while, but of course, it's trying to get it published. Um, so it was shortlisted by a couple of other publishers. Um, but when it came to submitting to Fly in the War Press, um, I mean, it had gone through various versions as well. And when um, Isabel put a uh, call out, uh, put it out, um, it was kind of. I found that the parameters that um, she was asking for really fitted the book very well. I thought it was, and also the kind of publisher that she was, I thought this kind of, this book would be really suitable. I, I really felt, I thought, felt confident with this one. I thought this seems like a really good fit. Um, and it was originally going to be that it was going to be a chunky chat book and uh, with the number of poems and the length of them, I thought that would work really well. Anyway, she really loved the book and so, uh, so that's great, you know, and uh, yeah. we decided to kind of, it's going to be like a full collection because really the poems are quite long. So it is yeah. just 25 poems, but it is over 80 pages, so, or yeah, it is a cost 82 pages, has not it? And obviously, the book itself is split into four sections, isn't it? Yes. Cursed, yes. coerced, compact, compatible and corrupted. Oh, Combative and corrupted. You know, yeah, that's me, my, my dyslexia is showing there. But <laughs> that's right. When did you decide that you wanted to split it into four, four sections? Was this almost straight from the beginning, was it? Well, no, it was, yes, it's a good question, because uh, it wasn't really. It was kind of near towards, it was towards the, like I'd been sending it out to various places, and um, it kind of just came to me really just before I did submit to Fly in the War Press. Um, and I thought it would be a good way of focusing, um, you know, these poems seem to fit into these kind of four um, sections. And it was it was all these kind of, about various individuals. There's always a bit of me in each of these kind of poems, but it is all about different types of people, different varying situations who find their kind of um, kind of in, in situations that are a bit impossible situations, and they're and they're either in these kind of four camps, if you like. Um, yeah. But there's always this kind of thing of the society, society, or the establishment, or just people around them, kind of bringing them down a bit. And so it's kind of um, and it's like they, they all people that feel like they're a bit expendable. Like for instance, in the uh, the coerced section, there's a poem uh, called Security Path, and it's about someone really their their security path is more important than them, and it's, that's all that's kind of letting them through anywhere. And um, you know, it's like they they don't uh, it, the, the security path doesn't represent them; they just represent the security path. You know, they just yeah yeah yeah. And you know, and the, the binary code is you know um, is more important than that then their then their name actually you know so it's kind of their name is just something that's just it's a legal obligation to put their name on it but really they're just like a number that, that kind of thing you know there's, so there's lots of poems kind of that and it's try and employ humor and that kind of thing but it is kind of they're very it's still kind of poems with very serious themes um and so it's kind of it was a way of presenting these poems in a kind of uh, structured way it's kind of to hold it together really yeah, you've got pieces like I'm reading up on the press releases that are sent to me here. Like, if there is, for people that are interested, there is quite striking poems in it. You've got like the bunker piece, haven't you? Where residents yes. know their tower block mistakenly built on top of a secret and cursed nuclear bunker that the government still yeah. was used to acknowledge the stuff. <laughs> pretty, 
It's pretty frightening. Yeah, and this is it, and, and it was a, a very serious, it was a serious poem, and it was originally in the, uh, uh, an anthology, uh, Poems for Grainful Tower, and it was kind um, of... That was my next question, uh, was, that, did, did, yes. was that anything to do with it? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, various of these poems, they've been written, they were written for either anthologies or written for events. And, um, so this one was an example of that, and it was, it was written for that anthology, and it was kind of, um, uh, kind of looking at it, you know, a different kind of way in the sense that almost like a, a folk tale aspect, um, yeah. where you know, because in the back in I remember back in the seventies and eighties, then if, you know, used to, there used to be these kind of secret places in the middle of cities, and they were kind of apparently they were bunkers, you know, no one yeah, knew yeah. about them. The government would go there if, if there was a nuclear fallout. But uh, so it was kind of this kind of thing where the government not telling anyone that there's these things, and they never officially um, stated that's what they are, but and I could imagine maybe it would be built, it might have been built um, in a certain area and then a, some tower block was built on top. Yeah. It's almost like there's this curse that's underneath, you know, something that um, it's I've always got, there and it's, yeah. So it's I've got kind. friends that have, um, should we say, have been on tours of Drake Low Tunnels, which is just outside, down off towards the Midlands way. So yeah, you do, we, there was a lot of kept sort of stories about that, but they never admit to certain, so yeah, get it completely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm gonna have to get, I will get a copy of Certainly, but I'm particularly looking forward to reading that. But the title piece as well, Grenade Genie. Uh, I don't oh, want to yes, give yes. much about this pit one away, but the description of it sounds incredible. To be honest, about, about a person possessing a genius, but requires spark to little choice but to pull a pin on a live grenade to release a genie oh, inside yes. it. And I thought, wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's kind of that's, it just fitting with this kind of general thing that I wanted to get across with these a lot of these poems that you know. Um, you know, sometimes you do have to just go for it and do something, make a stand, you know, even if the situation really is hopeless, you know. Uh, so even if you do feel you're extendable and the situation is hopeless, uh, you know, it's kind of, in my way, I guess I'm doing it with these, actually expressing it through these poems. Um, but it's kind of almost like sometimes you do have to just um, go for it, even if, even if it does result in um, maybe other, well, what it is with this poem is like, for instance, the, the explosion will kill the person because you, you, to get access to genius, he has to pull the, the grenade, uh, the pin on the grenade. So there's the explosion. And then all his atoms, um, they form into lesser versions of himself and they get the credit for this genius instead of him. Um, but at the same time, then he's, by pulling the pin, he's wiped out the establishment that are blocking all progress. And so it's like, even though at the same time, because that often does happen, isn't it? I think someone who has that original spark of genius they don't get the credit. It'll be ones after that person who do. Um, you know, you do hear about that a lot, really. You know, and um, so, but at the same time, they've still moved society forward, or they've helped um, society and people progress. And so, in a way, and sometimes you've just got to do something, isn't it? And, um, no yeah, matter yeah, what no. the consequences. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It's, it's some fantastic book, certainly. So, now obviously, I usually ask people, Tom, Tom, as well. Obviously, what do they have plans? And so, in your case, plans for preparation, promotion. But obviously at the moment, the way the economy is at the moment, that's very, very hard to, to basically do at the moment. Because yes, I know when I was looking right. at your WordPress account, you had quite a number of readings in mind for this, didn't you? So everything's really yes. unfolded at the moment, isn't it? So Yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of, I'd actually kind of set up really what was almost like kind of the first tour that I was, I was ever going to do. Um, and I had dates booked from May through end of, end of May through to August. Now some of them may still happen actually, who knows, but uh, I think some will be cancelled. But there was even, a, there was an hour long slot, um, performance slot at uh, Leamington 
Poetry Festival. Um, so that was kind of, that would have been performing the book in four parts. So it'd be kind of quite a show that would be. Have you ever done a show that long before, have you? No, I haven't. So, <laughs> I haven't. So that would be, that is quite something. So, uh, but, you know, I've got it, you know, thought out and planned out. And, uh, you know, even if it gets rescheduled, you know, it may still happen in a way. But there was that one, and there was going to be uh, my first um, headline performance slot in Birmingham. At, uh, well, it, it, it was going to be, um, that was going to be a co-headline slot. Uh, but... And that was going to be, as I say, the first time performing in Birmingham. So I was looking forward to that. That was the one at the end of May. So as to whether or not that will happen. But hopefully, again, hopefully all these ones will be rescheduled. Um, and in the meantime, there are, you know, kind of uh, doing performances online, uh, kind of submitted uh, aud some audio performances and also going to do some live ones. Next week, going to be, uh, well, uh, this is going to be on April the 18th, uh, performing at the Winchester Fest. So that will be on Zoom. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, it's kind of keeping that going, um, get myself out there. But obviously, we've, I mean, the good thing about poetry is a bit of a long game. Uh, so I'm just really glad the book's out, um, and it's just a case of I'd, I'd be looking to promote it well into next year in a way. So you know, so uh, hopefully, uh, it's, I'll be doing some online promotion, and then we can I can still do the the uh, after hopefully this is all passed then you know can do these you know, actual face-to-face -face gigs because you really you do need to kind of you know to kind of get yourself out there and, and uh, sell books i think you do need to kind of have to have that face-to-face -face contact really um it, and it is great it's a great way of meeting people but i, I think um it's, i mean it's great in some ways this whole the crisis that's happened it is bringing um new ways of thinking and looking at how to kind of uh, promote yourself and, and and meet people as well it's kind of it's interesting that that's kind of come up because there's all different things I think we'll learn a lot from it really as well so yeah I think there will be I think if nothing else one thing you will have done this crisis thing is made, made you realize you can publicize your book not just for going out on tour not just going out to your, like, your know local nights and stuff like that to publicize it yeah like it's I've, yeah, changed, is, yeah. I've changed a lot of readings in the past couple of weeks and zoom and facebook and yeah. There's other methods. I know Instagram was a lot on there, and I know my partner again yeah. on Twitter last week herself. So it's like, so there's plenty out there, plenty of ways you can do it. So. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, certain opportunities have come up that wouldn't have come up otherwise. And I think, um, kind of, and yeah, because looking, kind of looking at everything in different ways, it kind of concentrates the mind really and kind of, uh, yeah, it kind of adds, uh, I'm trying to think of the same words, it adds something else to your bow or whatever. Um, and you know, kind of, it's kind of it is good it's been good for that i think um and then as i say maybe then later in the year kind of do a bit more of the normal you know the promotion that you would have done otherwise but yeah i think it's been useful so yeah, yeah. i think it does it i think it's always good the human you know, human brain can adapt can't it look at drink and try out different approaches so good look we're definitely yeah. talking so now if people want to find out more about you how are yes. they doing it well um I'm on Twitter, um, and that's um, Thomas McCall two. That's uh, you know that's the the, the handle, um, and I've got the website as you as you're saying. As, I mean, if you put in Thomas McCall into Google, it will come up with you know the website. It'll come up with my Twitter. Uh, it'll come up with the the books you know, that I've released as well. So it's probably that's the best thing to do really, um, and you know you can find out from there. Brilliant. It's good to me. Now, I know you're going to do a few poems, poems for us today as well, aren't you? So, okay, yeah. 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 So what we'll then do is I'll pause the recording. So, 
always do. And if we hang around, because I'm looking all sick to hear from some of these pubs, Thomas is going to do today, definitely. So thank you very much, Andy. Back in a minute, guys. In a minute. Okay. Thank you very much. Spoke on me. Hi guys. Straight back to Thomas now. I know he's got four poems for us today. One from each section of your new book. Over to you, Tom. Thank you very much, Andy. Um, yes, so I'm going to, as Andy was saying, I'm going to read um, this section. I'm going to read uh, four poems from uh, one from each uh, section of the book, uh, which is the four sections in Grenade Genie um, are called Cursed, Coerced, Combative, and Corrupted. And uh, from the first section, Cursed, I'm going to read a poem that is um, it's about Instagram poetry and a poetry icon and my relationship with both and it is modestly called The Greatest Poem. I've been thinking that if I visit the Nayland Rock Shelter overlooking Margate Sands at the right time in the autumn of 2021, exactly 100 years on from when Thomas Stearns Eliot went there to write his masterpiece, The Wasteland, the greatest poem of the 20th century, then if I sit there long enough with my laptop, maybe I'll end up writing the greatest poem of the 21st century. Things in my favor, my first name is Thomas, I once worked for Lloyd's Bank and I write poetry. Things that might go against me. My surname isn't Elliot, it's McCall. Working for Lloyd's Bank is in itself no indicator of literary talent. And anyway, history doesn't tend to repeat itself. In fact, what if this time round the inverse happened and I end up writing the worst poem of the 21st century? In the current climate, it's highly likely. Let's face it, Thomas Stearns Elliot had advances in psychoanalysis to help him get in the right frame of mind whereas all I have is advances in social media. Who knows, maybe by 2021, I'll have no choice but to fit my opus into four lines on Instagram. But then when I do, my simple artless platitude will inexplicably receive a million likes, and then released as part of a book will inexplicably sell a million copies, and my poem will be so bad that everyone will definitely remember it much more than whatever the best poem of the 21st century will actually be, written perhaps by someone who, like Eliot, may be going through difficult times and talented enough to harness adversity, will out of that create a brilliant epic poem. But unfortunately, there'll no longer be anyone with the attention span to read it, let alone publish it. And he or she in despair will delete it and give up writing altogether. Whereas I'll go on to publish book after book and William McGonagall will turn in his grave at no longer being the worst poet in the English language, usurped by Thomas McCall now famous for having written the worst poem of the 21st century, or indeed any century. But that's the thing, writing the worst ever poem is no barrier anymore to immense success. Thomas Stearns Eliot may well have been the best, but there's no room for that now. Now it has to be four lines or less and totally trite. 1921, been and gone. 2021, bring it on. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to mention William McDonald then for a second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, was, I, yeah, when I was a child, that was the only, um, uh, the only book of poetry we had in the house. Uh, that was because my dad's Scottish and he had William McGonagall. <laughs> and they were such awful poems, but they were so bad, they were so good. Um, so, actually, you could argue that he was, my first, he was my first influence, yes. So, anyway, so, uh, yes. Brilliant. So, um, the, from the next section, Coerced. Actually, I'm going to read. Um, actually, I'm going to read one of the poems that I mentioned. Um, I think already in the interview. Um, <clears throat> it's got a poem called "Security Pass." So, and this is it. I've just been made permanent, yet already I know I'm completely expendable. 
In any event, I've today at last received a full security pass. It comes complete with a freshly taken photograph, my face displaying a grimace that was nothing more than confused surprise at the sudden camera flash, an expression that could almost pass for a desperate act of brave defiance, but no one's fooled and no one cares. Anyway, the doors opening in this building aren't opening for me, but for the magnetic stripe across the card. I know full well already that it's numbers on a line, not the letters in my name the system recognises, that a thin row of binary will always trump any last shred of humanity. Let's face it, though now clearly displayed in bold, my name Thomas McCall remains completely incidental, as impotent as a name that just about belongs still to some hitherto proud family firm, which having been swallowed up by a vast conglomerating entity, is slowly but surely stripped of its former identity until there's nothing left but the name itself, a name that's only been kept in place to satisfy some irritating legal obligation. Thomas McCall Limited, that's me, limited, extremely limited, a lowly worker whose past gives him access to just one floor in a 42 floor building. Well, here I am on the 41st floor. As soon as I exit the lift, directly in front of me, the main door, and there above it, the clocking in and out security camera, an irritating creature which is probably related in some way to the camera that took the annoyingly crappy picture displayed on my pass. Then catching my reflection in the door's dark glass, an expression that could almost pass for a desperate act of brave defiance, I realise in a flash that my mug in fact has now been set to project a permanent stamped on the face look of confused compliance, and that my brand new pass doesn't represent me, but that I simply represent my brand new pass. Thank you. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like the symbolisation at the end of that. Yeah, brilliant stuff, mate. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. Okay, and uh, you've got yeah. one from the third section now, haven't you? Yeah. So, so from the section combative, um, I'm going to read um, the last poem in that section, <clears throat> and it is based on a childhood memory. Um, you know, like in the 70s all of all of those kids, the boys, uh, were kind of playing war games. You know, because there was always all this stuff about World War Two and that kind of thing, and uh, so we're always obsessed with that. The kind of need to be in the army. So that's kind of <clears throat> basically what this poem is about, and it's called the Phony War. Our imaginations at war, with umbrellas for rifles, our enemy invisible. We defended the sofa, had it pulled out from the wall. Inside this narrow tunnel, with seat cushions overhead, we hid. With each attack, we watched each other's backs. You saw the Germans in your mind I could not see, and I saw mine. We shot them all too easily. With the airstrikes, though, we met our match. Shells like steel fists struck, and the seat cushions punched up into the air fell about us. So we rose and came out fighting, shot down five fighters and three bombers with two umbrellas, then finished off the conflict in close hand-to-hand -hand combat. By the end, there were a thousand German casualties, without even a scratch between them, two tired Tommies smoking pencils, feeling tough. And now the war was finished, and with both of us famished, we ran from the living room into the kitchen, calling for Gran to serve us up our tea, and found her quietly sobbing at the stove. Thank you very much. So that's Ooh, that one. Yeah, yeah. And the end's got a really good impact again on that one there, certainly. So, brilliant. This is the thing, because it's, it, it, it's the thing, it's kind of very much a, a phony war, but of course it was very real still to people who are old and you don't really understand that as a child but you do understand that when you're older so that was kind yeah. of that I mean, you know, when you're looking back and you get older and things yeah. like that, you feel because uh, at the time you think oh sometimes it's not 
you don't, you know, don't play those kind of games. You, you end up upset, but you realise when you're older, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, completely. Now we're on to the big finale now, aren't we? With flag yes. So from the, from the corrupted section, um, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read a poem called uh, "The Surgery I Go To as a Two-Headed Doctor," which is kind of basically says it all, really, in some ways. So, uh, so I'll just uh, so this, yeah. So this is the 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 last poem I'll read from the last section. The surgery I go to as a two-headed doctor. Dr. Smith will see you, see you now. It gets very confusing. Dr. Smith via his left head gives me a diagnosis. Then via his right head gives me a second opinion, which always differs from the first. And that opinion is never the best one, always the worst. When Dr. Smith examines me with the stethoscope, it's in the left head's left ear and the right head's right ear. In other words, he makes a right pig's ear and also a left pig's ear of any examination he does. However, when I once challenged him about it, Dr. Smith's left head simply said, can you breathe in a bit more deeply, please, while his right head shook morosely. Apparently, his wife has two heads as well and two pairs of breasts. It's said they met as impoverished but physically normal students, earning money by undergoing laboratory tests. Two heads are better than one, they say, but I'm not too sure that comes into play while attending an appointment with the, almost, the always in two minds, Dr. Smith. Thank you very much. That, that was really, that one. No, no, that's really clever. That one. Where did the idea for that one come from? That's quite. You know I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, really. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, so, actually, sometimes you know, I'll have the basic idea of a poem, and it'll be. It might even be I'd had that when I was in my twenties, and I've just kept the notes, and then, um, you know, and then I kind of go back to it, and I think that was the case in this one. I think I had must have had that idea. Because I know there was the in, uh, there was a character with two heads in the comedy. Um, what was it? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And ah, I, that was in my, I wonder if that was in my head or something. And then maybe I'm. I'm at, it, it just happens a lot where there'll be that there'll be that kind of aspect. Of, where I'm thinking of that, and then I'm at the doctors, and you kind of then it just starts coming into your head. Like the, the, the two things merged together, or are morphed, and and then you, know, you kind of think, oh, yeah, that's that's yeah. What would that be like? You know, and, yeah. and then you kind of start. You're going to go from there, really, yeah. So, yeah, I've been writing, I did that myself in the past, like that, where you write something and it may not get finished or in the format probably for a long time afterwards. So, kind of yeah. makes sense. But that's a great way of finishing session off that time. I've really, I've really yeah, enjoyed it. We really enjoyed all four pieces today. So, thank you for that. Now, yeah, I've enjoyed it. Well. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah it's been a pleasure. Yeah, sure. Hang around, Andy. Quit over your mic. Thank you again, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Thank See you very much, Andy. Yeah. See you all soon, guys. Thank oh, Thanks again for listening to another session of the Spoken Label. Our full archive can be found over on Bandcamp at Spoken Label, that's one word, Spoken Label, full stop, bandcamp.com. And there is over 150 sessions there. So I'm sure that if you've enjoyed this session, there'll be something else there you can enjoy as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Spoken Label.